0: Welcome back to Matters. I am Tessa Varia, your host and today we have the pleasure of talking with Tom McLeod from Myotherapy and Allied Health, Geelong. Unlike many other podcasts, today we aren't talking about hands-on therapy, we are diving deep into the business side of running a multi-modality health clinic. During this episode we discuss your referral pipelines, retaining clients, finding new clients, and creating a clinic for the long-term success. Tom, welcome to MyO Matters. Hi, everyone. Now, Tom, before I dive into things and ask you all the great questions, give me a brief overview. How? did you start with myotherapy and allied
1: health geelong well i've been a myotherapist for about 15 years and as we sort of established ourselves my co-founder in the myotherapy and allied health we decided to go out on our own and start a clinic in geelong sort of an allied health clinic with a outcome driven approach and so we sort of sought other practitioners with like minds to come and join us and so we did that about five and a half years ago and um it's gone Uh, gangbusters ever since. We now see almost 300 patients a week and up to 100 new patients a month. And they mainly come from word of mouth, as well as our the pipelines that were sort of created through our social media and website.
0: What really drove you, like you were obviously sitting in the industry for about 10 years before you'd gone out on your own. What drove you to decide, heck, I'm going to do this on my
1: own? It felt like a natural progression. I really enjoyed uh, the mentoring part. I had done a little bit of teaching. And so it was great to sort of bring on other people within this allied health and help mentor them and get them to become Mm. great practitioners I'd had some great mentors through my initial part of being a myotherapist and could see the benefit of that and there was a, a point for us where the owner of my previous clinic had changed hands and it wasn't quite the dynamic that we once had and thought that we could create something a much better, so that's where we decided to yeah branch out and start a, our own clinic. And I a, think myo, it's a, pro- a myo predominant clinic, which is there's not many myo predominantly only clinics.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you'll find a lot of people have made that transition or thought about it. I just want to like back on up for a second because I feel like viewers are going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Did I just get Tom's numbers wrong? I'm here on my calculator, guys, tapping this way. Tom is like three hundred clients a week which equates to roughly 42 clients a day. Are we hearing this right, Tom?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and not every week is as busy as that, but, you know, in the 270s to 280s is is very consistent in that sort of range. And we do have up to five practitioners on at a time. It's not just one or two people seeing that. And we have shorter appointment times than the average Maya. We probably treat in half an hour. And so that allows a lot more patients through the door per day, I guess.
0: This gives you guys a little bit of perspective of why I have picked Tom to come on to talk to us about business and myotherapy and allied health clinics because it gives you a little bit of a scope as to what he's running through his business and how well thought out this is it's not just that Tom has just potlucked this that he has actually done a lot of work in bringing this in and I know some people are like 42 that's physically impossible um, but I promise you this is how he works so tell us what do you think is the important things to remember when we are attracting or even maintaining our new clients particularly
1: well attracting new clients is like you have to do that and word of mouth referrals comes after you've had some of the cold calling clients because you can't get word of mouth until you've actually had some clients come through the door (laughs) And so the big one is trying to get all your ducks in a line in terms of how people will find you, whether that's through your social medias and your Google or having a basic website that you'll be able to be found. And so it doesn't have to be a fancy website, but something that people can find, I think is a really important thing because even once people get, a word-of-mouth referral, they will often jump online and research you. Look at your Google reviews. Look at your your website. Read sometimes delve into pages of your website that you haven't read in years, and they'll come. In this and is mention.
0: totally true, right? You're like, yeah. God damn it! Where would you find that? <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and so, don't be surprised that you know. And these are patients that have had a strong referral to you, you will still go and delve into this. And so having that information there and having it all pointing in the same direction I think is a really, really important first step Yeah, unless you get those first couple of clients, it's very hard to get the word of mouth referrals that come later. I think also an integrated um, online booking system. Uh, We use Clinico and that works through our website and Facebook. I think that's a 24 hour advert for you and a booking system that works all day, every day when you're not in the clinic.
0: Totally agree. Having that access. People do want things now in our society and having your books available to them to figure that out on their own when they want is really important for
1: sure. In terms of like maintaining clients, Mm. it's a little bit sort of different sort of thing. Like I think keeping track of your basic KPIs, which can be a bit of a dirty word when it Comes to allied health businesses. Yeah,
0: I can feel people being um, like, "I'm out. I'm tough now." Yeah.
1: <laughs> but it's it's very self reflective. We send our KPIs to our staff, and we basically ask them, request them to get in contact with us if they have questions. And so, rather than forceful, you know, um, forcing it down their throats, they can see that their rebooking rate or their book, you know, their new patients are down or any of those sort of basic stats and they can come to us and ask those questions and so it gives them an opportunity to be self-reflective um, and also recording like your referral sources so whether that's a professional referral um, a word of mouth referral or uh, just a cold calling referral like at google mm. i think is really important
0: I think that really helps you then understand where your time and money is best put towards when you're searching for new clients. But if you're putting majority of your money and time into basket A and it's not where your clients are coming from, then Mm. you need to reassess where that is 100%. What would you classify as your big KPIs that you look at?
1: Well, we do look at rebooking rate, I think, especially Mm. for our initial clients. We have a general rule. That, you know, you'd want to see if you're seeing ten new clients a month. We'd want to probably see um, eight or nine rebooked, and yeah, so, nice. which is still like that gives you that sort of little bit of space for those you know people. That I saw a a pregnant woman at thirty nine weeks the other day.
0: <laughs> yep, they're tapping out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: She's not coming back for oh, a little while anyway. Um, <laughs> and so we aim for that, and we often get people to like our staff to review those patients that didn't come back and so whether it's mm. you know those three that didn't come back maybe they're at 60 percent and those four that didn't come back and so they might need to then chat to us about the one that was maybe not the exception if that makes the sense and so we definitely look at the rebooking rate we look at how many times the total that the patients have come back i can't do what's called a um average visit oh, like, patients
0: ah uh, yep, yep yep
1: it's again a very subjective sort of a stat. So we don't focus too much on that. We look at that over a three month and a six month and a 12-month period, Mm. which helps us because there's no point having a bucket load of new patients coming through. Like we had one of our staff, you know, seeing like 40 new patients in a month. But if they're only, you know, at 40% or 50% or a 60% rebooking rate, that means next month I still need to get another 40 does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it's <laughs>
0: like filling a leaky bucket, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so one of the things that we get people to do is very much look at their, which we'll talk about in a minute, I guess, but look at their way that they've written their notes and whether that's reflective on the way that they've booked their patient for the next week or fortnight or whatever they need to do
0: yeah I really like that and it sounds like we you know like it's about practitioners not just about being hands-on but truly understanding their practice as a whole and that means you know like how are we communicating with clients what is my rebooking how does my treatment and my philosophy or plans actually then correlate to what people are like. We all think we're magical, trust me. But what do our numbers actually tell us? And it's nice to be able to investigate those and grow as a practitioner, Mm -hmm. which is not in the hands-on area, but maybe also other areas. Obviously, existing clients are our easiest clients to keep because we have them already. They don't necessarily cost us a lot of money to be there again and have to build that rapport and relationship with where do you think practitioners go wrong when we lose existing clients?
1: You just said it before, communication, communication, mm. communication, a hundred percent. that's the main reason. I think we're all wonderful hands-on practitioners. I don't think um, a lot of people doubt their hands-on skills. I think we're all you know have done so many courses or you know treated that many patients that you feel confident with your hands-on skills, but it's the the communication to the client that most people fall short on. Um, and that could be from the rapport you build early in the appointment um, until like they leave, like that diagnosis in the middle. And then when they leave and say so there is a, um, I suppose, a, a transactional point in every appointment. And so that's from when they walk in the door to the deal with reception. And then there's a clinical point where they're dealing with you in the, the treatment room. And then at the end, mm. there's another sort of retail sort of experience for the client. And so if we're going to just focus on the, the, the clinician of perspective, I think they have to really look at the way that they're delivering their diagnosis and then how they're then following that up with, right, well, I think you've got a, an acute L5 disc injury. I think this is going to take about six weeks to 12 weeks or whatever you want to sort of say. Like I got a patient on Saturday and I said, okay, I really need to see you this week because they had an acute injury with weakness in their Foot and some numbness, and I said it's not going to cure you between now and Tuesday,
0: but it's just more <laughs> about
1: monitoring that decline in 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 his neuro neuropathic symptoms. And so, the goal of my treatment was just to monitor his symptoms, and so having a clear communication what the goal of my treatment would be and what I think the injury is, I think it's really 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 important for then how the patient's then. Um, feel like they're in the right hands, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where we often see practitioners get wires crossed with their clients that the client may be expecting their pain to be gone after one half hour, 45-minute, 60-minute treatment but the practitioner very well knows that an acute ankle sprain is realistically not going to feel magical for the next four, five, six weeks. That if we're not communicating that, our client goes away and is then very disappointed why in 48 hours their ankle is still sore, which we laugh at. I can, We're both laughing on the screen here because yeah, we're like, yeah. that is so unrealistic. But um, our clients don't know any better. They haven't studied this. And communicating what the client's goals are and meeting expectations with them or managing their expectations of your capabilities is really important.
1: We use a like an email system where we would often write like a management plan where you would write, yes. right. well, that acute ankle sprain, you know, it's going to be three to six weeks. You might miss two games of football um, or and you need to start your calf raise progression and then you're running progression over you know one two three weeks and so then they can sort of have that as a take home because even though you've told them it's going to be six weeks when they get home they still think it's going to be 48 hours and so, <laughs> uh, and so having an email at least it sometimes helps you to look professional and you look like you know what you're talking about and not on a piece of scrappy bit of paper that you've screwed down, you know, go for three jobs and do three (laughs) sets of 20 calf raises or something.
0: It gives them a really nice thing to come back to and be reminded because you've got to remember they're in a pain state when they're with you. There's a lot of information coming at them and they can review that later and be like, that's right, Tom did say it was going to be six weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so coming back to that self-reviewing of your own client mm. notes, I think, is the big thing. Set a 15-minute meeting with yourself once a month to go through those patients that you thought that you won over with your super skills and they, you know, they counselled or didn't come back. And just see, you know, did you communicate that well? And I think that's a really um, self-reflection because we're always going to get it wrong. Like, you know, even when you're do a great job, sometimes it doesn't work
0: out. Yeah, I really like that advice to do self-reflection. I think it's probably something that practitioners maybe don't find the time for nor understand what the value is, but I think that's a fabulous idea to be like set the time, check in, review your cancellations, review those people that you lost and didn't rebook and and try and understand your client's journey and your client's mind and your client's movements is really important too.
1: We sometimes, well... I think most of our guys would just print it out themselves, just their cancellation list, and they just annotate yes. what they thought. And it's not for us as managers to look at. It's just for them to to sort of self-review. Um, and I mm. think that's a, a, a major or, you know, very easy way of reviewing what you're doing, and that's that communication, you know, and often it could be just a follow-up phone call.
0: Absolutely, and I really do like that. Like, it is such such an easy way to see what your clients are doing, and then understand that, and then be able to deliver a better treatment or better consult in the future for your future clients as well.
1: A communication, just it's this. It, I couldn't say it enough that it communication <laughs> is where everybody goes wrong. Uh,
0: yeah, it really, really is. It's you know, like just genuinely have those communications and being open. And I think it's it's probably something we don't have as much focus on. And as therapists, we love hands-on things, but then when it comes to getting it out of our brains to people can be a struggle sometimes. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Now, you work in a multimodality clinic, which um, is amazing, And it's something that as myotherapists, we always are wanting to strive to see how we connect and join with other modalities. How do you work within a multi-modality clinic and maintain professional relationships between each practitioners if you are transferring clients between like, how do you best manage that? So it's not that I'm better than you or I'm I'm taking a client that we genuinely want to have a collaborative care there.
1: It's a hard one because... I think we all want to keep our clients. And so sometimes <laughs> you feel like when you're saying, go see the osteo for a manipulation or go see the podiatrist for the plantar fascia pain that you're getting, that you're not sort of quite, you know, getting over the line and stuff like that. I think you just have to focus on the patient care. I sort of love working with different practitioners. Like we have a, yes. a a bit of an open door policy where, you know, you'd knock on the podiatrist door or knock on the osteo's door or something like that and, and just get them to do a two-minute consult on your patient that you've got on the table and say, you know, I had a patient the other day and she had a, a tear sort of in her upper traps, like a an old tear from a whiplash in mm. and i've never seen i've seen one in like a hamstring or a quad but I've never seen one it's in. it's a net.
0: very random place yes
1: yeah yeah and i said oh i'm just gonna get the osteo and he can have a little feel of that and he was he said exactly the same thing as i did he goes, i've got one in my quad," and i said yeah i just said that i've seen them plenty of times in quads but never seen <laughs> one in the And so the patient just loved it. They just thought that was the best thing because they had two people saying the same thing (laughs) and they just had this confidence that sort of come from that. And so I think if you work in different clinics with different things, lean on them the most because there's no point having them and going, I don't know what the osteo does different to me. Like knock on their door or lend your knowledge to them as well. So it goes both ways. I think that just builds trust between you guys, but also for the patients. It makes them feel like they're in the right hands.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It really comes back to communication again. Communicate with your client, communicate with your other practitioners, with the client's care at best.
1: We run some small in-house PD as well. I think that's, Mm. um, you know, we just got a couple of large treatment rooms. We just have six or seven practitioners in the room and we might go over, you know, how to manage a acute shoulder or something and we can get it's a very um, interactive sort of thing and we can have one person leading but we can also have the interactions from the other practitioners with their two cents and we just normally get coffee and and or lunch and yeah it's a really great way of learning from each other I guess because even with five or six myos in the clinic we all treat differently Uh, absolutely the the last thing we probably do as a clinic is we do some case studies so whether that's we have a formal once a month where we get together and chat through a case study that's sort of either been a super success or a super failure. But we generally do that, you know, whenever we have a coffee, we always talk through a client and try and um, nut out what we've done wrong. And just leaning on those other people within your clinic uh whether it's in a GP clinic or something like that, we all have smoker rooms and tea rooms. Just lean on the other people around you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love the idea of case studies because it not only helps you see things from a different perspective, but sometimes it's something that, you want to go over with someone and not either know what you've done right or wrong and you're able to bounce those ideas and I think a lot of growth comes from those particularly whether it's with another Maya or remedial and osteo whatever it is but to see things from others perspectives at times
1: as well. Oh 100% because most of the time it's that you as a practitioner just want the reassurance that you're doing okay. Yeah. It's like that's gonna take 12-3 months as a minimum Tom and it's just sort of like oh okay yeah I, I sort of the last time, a couple of times I've treated it, it's only taken three time, three appointments and I've solved it. And it's,
0: <laughs> and it's
1: like um, that doubt, that self-doubt creeps in sort of thing. So it's really good there's, to chat through that.
0: Yep. There's always those ones when you think, gosh, like, what am I missing here? Why is this not changing? <laughs> 100%. Now, before we leave today, Tom, what would be your advice to Mayos that are wanting or considering going out on their own?
1: In Geelong, we've been so lucky. And I'm not sure, I can't speak for every regional town or even in the city, but I think Mayo is such a great profession and it's it's growing. And don't be afraid, you know, if you put your name out there, people will come. So I think just, yeah, you've got to be in it to win it.
0: Absolutely, you've really got to take the leap and just hold on.
1: Yeah, grab it with both hands and (laughs) run. I think that's really.
0: really... Yeah,
1: but you also have to be willing to do the the other side of it. Like if you're going to have multiple people in your uh, rooms, you can just rent the space and never have, never even see them. But if you want to make a really inclusive clinic, you've got to work hard at creating a culture. And so. If you're not the right person to create that culture or you, it's too hard, you'd rather just see an extra three patients, we'll just find somewhere else that has cheaper rent, you know, and rent some space rather than, um, <laughs> than starting a clinic where you're going to run it yourself.
0: Yeah, I think that's solid advice to be like, know what type of person you are and lean into that. Not all of us yeah. are cut out to run multi-modality clinics. It is a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of additional things that we weren't taught at uni. So I think knowing, knowing where you fit in that and what is your capabilities and, and your assets and best work into those.
1: hundred percent, yeah.
0: Thanks so much for being with us today, Tom. It has been a pleasure to hear about your business and how you have been so successful out in Geelong. I have no doubt everyone is now trying to figure out how to put 42 clients into a day. (laughs) Um, But it has been an absolute pleasure and I really hope that people start to lean into those aspects of their business and understand what they're doing as a practitioner as well. So thank you so much for being with us. It has been a pleasure.
1: No worries at all. Thanks very much for your time.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today to Myo Matters. Myotherapy Australia is an industry specific association which is dedicated to the myotherapy profession. As always, if there is any guest that you would love to hear from, get in touch and let our team know. Don't forget to check out our website for upcoming and online professional development opportunities and stay tuned for our next episode of Myo Matters from Myotherapy Australia.